Hello and welcome to Bucket List Board Gamers, the podcast where board gamers come together to talk about board games. This is episode 3, following on from our UKGE special and a quick jaunt across the channel to Carcassonne. My panel today are the Shield Maiden, Kay Brown. Hello, thanks for having me. The Longship, Drew Leonard. Good morning. And the green tile I just can't get to flip over, Matthew Wilson. <laughs> That's me, hello. And I am your host, Luke Pickles, for rumours of my player elimination have been grossly exaggerated. I return valiantly upon my steed, Slaknir, to bring you news from Valhalla. The old father is a wee bit peckish, and he has sent his followers here in Midgard to go out exploring, settling, pillaging, and rampantly feeding and breeding of their livestock, all culminating in a feast for Odin which is today's game. Now, before we get into the game too much, I will say this is a legitimate Viking game, because the term Viking is much more accurate as a job description rather than a race or a group of people. Those people that were doing the Viking were Norse and Scandinavians and that sort of thing, so they are not actually... The Vikings is not a term for the people, it's just what they were doing. It's like saying lawyers as a group of people, which... <laughs> Interesting comparison. Which I suppose you may do. It was the first one that came to mind, but there you go. So, you know, well done, Uwe Rosenberg. And by the way, if anyone gets in the comments and says about the pronunciation of Uwe Rosenberg, we're probably not going to say it again. So, you know, there's that. So, everyone, what do we think about Feast for Odin? Well, I think the question is, where, where do we start? <laughs> well, well, we start specifically with minus 86 points. And oh, I yeah. think... That's where we start, with a really big open board with minus 40, uh, 86 points on it, which is, you know, always fun when you first start a game to go, great, I just need to get positive scores. <laughs> what do you think, though? What, what is everyone's impressions of A Feast for Odin? Yeah, I, I really like it. I played it very early on in my sort of board gaming journey, um, and it was overwhelming, because, yeah, you're right, there's a lot going on. The second you start, you feel like a loser. There's so many minus ones on your board. But as you get going, and you sort of get in the rhythm of it, and, and you start building your little engine, it becomes incredibly fun. It's a game that I really enjoy playing over and over again. I'm really bad at it. I don't think I've ever won, but but I keep going back to it. I, I really, really enjoy it. I think the first time I played it, I played it sat on the floor. I wouldn't recommend that if you're as tall as me. It's a long game, and it got very crampy. But when you stand up and stretch, you do get a chance. You get a good bird's eye view and can see everything. So that's good. Yeah, it's good. It's good because that board. I mean, the board is a long board anyway, which is kind of helpful because of all those different worker placement spots that you have. For those who are uninitiated, and it is a worker placement game with tile placement and all sorts of other stuff, where you are going to be placing your workers to do different actions. But the number of workers that you put down isn't necessarily, it, you know, relates to the strength of the actions. So the actions can be a little bit stronger. You can play one to four workers. And it's, I, it's, I think it's unique in that aspect in terms of the different strength actions needing different workers. You do get more workers as the game goes on. And it's definitely a, oh my lord, what am I doing here game for the first impression. And I think you you definitely have a habit of a of going for heavier games, or at least in your board game career, you went for heavier games before the sort of lighter ones. I think we talked about that a little bit in the Carcassonne episode. Go listen to that if you haven't already. <laughs> yeah, it's not my fault. It's, it's the crowd I hang out with. <laughs> they were they were playing games before I sort of joined, and then they were past a lot of the simpler stuff. So yeah, I was very much in at the deep end. I, th I think playing Feast of Odin is to blame for me 
in now enjoying choice anxiety and wanting games where there's <laughs> loads to do. I, I kind of find myself seeking out that now. Yeah, I think for the Feast for Odin, whenever I describe it to somebody, I, and it's someone's first time, I always say, don't be the master of one. It is a very much a jack-of-all-trades game. It's very difficult to go down a singular route. It's a very balanced game, and you have to constantly adapt to the strengths of that round. You can't just... I mean, the amount of times I've tried to just go down the, the feast route and say, do you know what, I'm going to complete the board so I don't have to feed, like, generate food at the, har or at the harvest. And, or if I'm on the boats, I'll now go down the boat route and I'll try and upgrade as many longships as I can, etc. And I've never really been successful following one particular route. It just seems a very classic Juve Rosenberg game where you have to constantly adapt your gameplay, and that's one of the things I absolutely love about it. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a huge diversity in what you can go down, particularly with the occupation cards. They really can change up your strategy in a way that I have yet to fully understand, because I do not use those particularly well at all. I, I do say as a general thing, do try and flip over your ships if you can, because it makes life a lot easier for you at the various feasting phases. Make people, If you make people leave, you don't have to feed them. That's, that's what I'm taking from that one. What do you think, Drew? You haven't... Yeah, I really like. It. I've actually only played it the once, but like a friend brought it around when he was coming to stay for a few days, and I just looked at the box. I was like, "Oh, just, yes, this this is everything I want in a game." Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I I tried to go down the ships route. I think like I, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's a Viking game. I'm going to be an explorer. Going to upgrade all my ships, and I'm going to go and discover Iceland or whatever." And I think I took the like Iceland tile or whatever it was really early, and then just spent the whole of the rest of the game not managing to fill it up with things. <laughs> so I just got to the end. I was like, "Oh well, I've got." no points because I made a bad choice really early. <laughs> Which I think is telling of that kind of game, but it's still a lot of fun. The islands, I haven't I haven't played a game yet where I've seen them executed in a great form. They always seem to be more of a loss leader than anything. You don't seem to get you see they seem to be to I can to draw you in so you can lose the game. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like, now I've played it a lot and I think the audience that I play with is a very similar audience. So I have played it online on BGA, but again it's been with uh, players that I play with the physical mm -hmm. board game. So I haven't seen the islands used in a way in which they've really maximised someone's gameplay. I mean I know you can get the additional resources when you surround them at the harvest, etc. But I don't know, what do you guys think? Have you managed to play a game of it and they've been a real win for you or has it always been the case of you avoid them because they give you so many negative points? I've always found with the islands that I've, if I've gone for them ever um, I've not won the game but I've also usually done that in a situation where I was already quite badly losing quite early on in the, in the game of it. I've only ever played it on board game arena I've never played it physically I'm not entirely certain I want to um, <laughs> just because there's a lot it's also quite hard to get hold of, I think. I think it was very big four or five years ago. I think now, for some reason, this happens a lot with Uwe's games, is that they cycle in and out of print runs. And I don't think there's been a reprint of Feast for Odin for a few years. So I know that I know I know of a game store that has a copy. I know it's also sat on that shelf for about three years. So I don't know what's happening with it. But it is it's an interesting one. I don't know if I ever want to play it physically, because there's just so much to do. I don't know if I'd understand it better playing it at the table or if I'd just better off hovering over things in BGA and going well I could get this island and ruin my points or I could just you know like, that's kind of the thing though because you can get additional resources from it as you say the surrounding of things that was something I didn't understand until maybe my 12th game of A Feast for Odin 
was if you surround the resources that are on here, you don't get those as immediate if you cover them. You get them as income if you leave them open, which is a weird concept. But anyway, or it was a confusing concept to me. I didn't get that straight away, which isn't helpful. So I don't know. I don't think the islands have ever helped in my experience. I don't know if anyone else has had any other... Yeah, I think I definitely got suckered in by like the theme and the idea of the islands but like it definitely didn't help at all it just gave me a bunch of negative points from the beginning but it's just not helpful i think i feel like if you're like doing well in the kind of mid to late game and like you're getting enough income that you can fill up a board quickly and like you're running out of your your main board or whatever then it might be worth going for at that point but like definitely not from the beginning because yeah, so it was just a bachelor's. Yeah, I'm I'm always far too scared to take the islands. You have so much to do at home. I don't want to be adding to that. Occasionally, I'll get a little bit cocky and I'll get one of the long houses, like the little ones. Mm -hmm. But then, even then, sometimes I'll struggle to fill that up as well. So it's huge risk reward. I, I have seen Wait. them used reasonably successfully a couple of times, but I don't I don't think I have it in me to do it. Yeah, it feels like that's the UV expert level. <laughs> yeah, <of> yeah. <laughs> that when you can use it. But interestingly, what Luke was saying regarding BGA, so I played it physically my first dozen or so times. And then during, um, I'd say lockdown, but my partner got COVID. So he was isolated at the time when you had to isolate separately. So he was isolated in our room and I was set up camping in our daughter's room next door. And we were playing it online on BGA. And I found it difficult to go back to play it physically since mm. playing it on BGA because of the setup and because it's a game that I love and because it does take a while to set up, I prefer to play it on BGA than I do to play it physically because it's just it just takes so long to get to the table. Even with the an insert and the, they have got the game tray where you've got all the um, all the tiles, but the tiles are double sided. So when you're playing them physically, you have to make sure that you've got a representation of each tile in front of you and then if one pile goes down that it's refreshed so sometimes you can run out of think you've run out of a resource and actually you haven't so it is it's a great game but again physically it's wonderful it's visually impactful but i've struggled to play it now because i've played it so much on bga yeah and i think I, that's probably one of the things that makes a good implementation is that it makes the physical harder to do which is a weird concept so it makes that's kind of the op the opposite effect that you want you want people to be able to try digital board games to be able to then go off and buy the physical game but for big heavy games like a feast for Odin, then having a quick setup implementation is all is always going to be useful it's a good way of getting people into the hobby i guess we're not sponsored by Board Game Arena or any of these other, <laughs> any of these other. Yeah, other tabletop uh, simulators things. are available. <laughs> they are available. I, are they as good? That's for you to decide. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not telling you that they aren't. But I'm also not not telling you. No, I don't know. No, you for the sake of clarity, because we're not. We're not. We're not regulated by Ofcom. We're a podcast. Damn it. <laughs> we can say what we like. Well, within reason. <laughs> but yeah, play, playing games on Board Game Arena is a good way to understand games i think if or at least develop an understanding for them if you have already delved into it like i think starting playing a feast for odin digitally has hampered my i said this already it's all hampered my intent to go and play it physically yeah it's almost like watching the film before reading the book yes so i tend to if there's a book that i want to read and i know there's a film available i'll read the book first because yeah. I'll never ever go back to a book after watching the film. And same with BGA, if I ever play a game on there, 
I struggle, I've always struggled to play the physical version if I've played it originally on BGA and a lot of the thought process has been taken away for me. Yeah, the, the benefits going, I mean, that's, that's why initially I preferred something like Tabletopia because it was the physical aspects of picking pace or Tabletop Simulator because other digital board game media are available and I could, you know, put things out and I could actually have to manually calculate it as if I was playing a board game. So that's a, that's a whole thing. But anyway, enough about the digital. Let's go back into the cardboard. Has anyone ever played with the Norwegians expansion for A Feast for Odin? I own it. No. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not a yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got as far as getting it to the table with my partner. He has played it and enjoys it. He felt that it added, I think, from when we discussed it, he said it added just probably a bit too much at the stage that we were playing it. You know, we played it quite a lot. He said it was mm. a lot. It felt like a lot. It wasn't a lot that it added, but it felt like it extended the game to a position where it was a bit more of a... <laughs> it usually is. Um, but it's something that I'm, I do want to try, and it's shame on me for owning it for possibly for over two years now, I think, and I've still not managed to have a game of it, even though we've played the base game. Is it is it a game that really needed an expansion? I feel like it has enough going on already. Yeah, it's, it's probably big True. enough on its own, really, isn't it? <laughs> I reckon that there are people who will have played it enough that they feel like it warrants some sort of expansion, or that it just gives a little bit of extra stuff. Like some, I know there are certainly some people who feel that the Norwegian expansion is a necessary inclusion because of the introduction of other action spaces and different tiles that you can use and giving some different resources and stuff like that. So I think there is certainly, there's certainly a case for it. I've never played it, so I've got no idea how it will interact with things, but I hear it's good. That's about as much as I can say on it. I can say visually it looks fantastic. That's, that's, that's the maximum of my personal input. It does look great. It's just I haven't had the opportunity to play. <laughs> Where do we think A Feast for Odin falls in a list of worker placement games in general? Just like where where does it fall on your personal list of like the worker placement games? Because we've talked about some other worker placements on this show already. It sort of in passing, um, and one of our upcoming episodes is about a very adorable worker placement game, which has got absolutely nothing to do with this particular theme. It's just you know heads up, there's that coming up sometime in the future. I think I think it's certainly in the conversation whenever you're talking about worker placement games, right? Mm. It's it's one of those ones that if people like those games there's a very high chance that this is one of the games that they they have at least played and i as as much as i've talked about it being overwhelming and a, a really big game i'm i'm yet to play it with anybody or meet anybody who doesn't enjoy this game so mm. i think i think it's it's certainly certainly up there and always in the conversation yeah i mean so I've only played it once but i kind of i kind of don't think of it as a worker placement game i mean like it obviously is but like my memory of it is like more as a title placement game like i feel like the the main puzzle of what you're doing is trying to fill up your board with the things you get obviously the worker to how you get the things but i feel like the worker placement is almost incidental mm. to what you're actually doing yeah i get that and for me i mean i love uva rosenberg games we've got a vast collection um of, of various levels and our children play the advanced version of agricola with us and they're the two youngest that are 10 years old will make us work hard for it and for me, Caverna and Agricola and Feast for Odin all sit there in a very similar complexity level, but with that beautifulness that is a UV Roseburg game where it just it changes the theme and it's the very thematic 
is what I enjoy. And I, and I love the worker placements. I do put them at the more advanced um, mm. scale because I feel the play- worker placements very similar if you've got a like for Stone Age, for example, is a great work placement game, but that's a lot easier to pick up. Mm-hmm. And although it's simplistic in your actions for Feast Road in, but you're overwhelmed with choice. And I think that's where the level of complexity kicks in and the constant adaptability of it, because because you're competing with other players for the spots that you want, it's a constant tug of war of mm. what you're doing. And again, going back to the... You, difficult to be a master of one trade because you can guarantee that what your one opponent's going to pick up on what you're doing and they'll start blocking you and then you're like okay I've got to go off and do something else but I haven't got these resources and I haven't got this ability and I'm running out of people and yeah it's it's brilliant it's, it's definitely up there on the complex I, I feel if it was introduced to me in an early day I would have been incredibly overwhelmed <laughs> and yeah I think it may have taken me a while to return to it however it always feels like a challenge every game feels different i've tried to play similar games and it never works out that way because what i've won a couple of times and I've, they've both been different routes that i've taken and they've just been looking it's just they felt like of the the viking gods of fate <laughs> of yeah. like gave me the right cards and the right opportunities to be able to win it and um, other than that it's yeah it's fantastic and it's great and i do think that it's one that's that's high up in the rankings of of place work placement games and also difficulty levels. Yeah, so it's, it's certainly a good high level thing. It's interesting though, Drew, that you say about it being a very much tile placement because that is one of the mechanisms as listed on there. Have any of you played Patchwork? Yes. Yes. Play I may I may own a few versions of it. <laughs> so, I mean, this is one of the things that I find interesting is that the Patchwork element spun off from that tile placement aspect of a feast for Odin. That's where Uwe got his inspiration for it and that's where it it came out from i personally don't like patchwork because i i played it a couple of times and i played it with my partner for the first time in a board game cafe uh, near me and i was playing through it and my brain I, I sort of spent the entire game thinking oh i'm losing this i'm losing this quite badly because i was always feeling like i got the buttonick on me in time in the wrong order and then it came to the end of the game and i won and i sat there going I don't understand how this happened. Hmm. And that frustrated me. They didn't feel like I had enough say in what was going on for the uh, tile placement thing. This is that's just a bit of a tangent onto the thing. But it's interesting that that game spun off from A Feast for Odin. And I think it's interesting that you, you pick up, Drew, that that tile placement being such a key feature, that it was then enough of a thing to then become its own game. Whereas I don't think there's any other aspects in this that you could spin off. You could just do a pure worker placement about Vikings, but there's not as much you could get from it. I think it has to have all of those different elements combined together for it to work properly. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think the thing with worker placement is that like you have to have something that your workers are working towards, right? You need some other element of the game that feeds into what you're getting from placing the workers. Right? So yeah, like, that'll, that'll be a very difficult thing to just take out as an abstract yeah, thing and I'm have it work. At- I'm looking at, at BGG and the, the mechanisms listed on there. Automatic resource growth, dice rolling, grid coverage, income, push or luck, solo, solitaire, we'll get to has anyone played it solo in a minute, tile placement, turn order slash pass order, and worker placement. So there's none of those things individually could, I think, or at least those aspects in the game could be spun off in the same way that 
the tile placement has, which I think is interesting. Mm. And also, he's taken that polyonimo effect that was taken from Feast for Odin, then to Patchwork, and then introduced its New York Zoo as well, which is is carried on that mechanism through to other mm. games. Which is another great game, by the way. <laughs> it's certainly a game. Um, <laughs> has has anyone played it solo? As we talked about solo stuff, have we talked? Has anyone played it solo yet? No, I've never played it online, so I've only played it. For real, I think getting all that out <laughs> to play myself seems like a bit of an effort. Mm. I, can, I can certainly agree with that. I might give it a go on BGA because you can play some solo games on there. So if it is available as a solo mode on there, I'm probably going to give that a stab at some point to at least see if I can do well enough to feel like I've done something with my day. Because it is a it is a long thing. Has anyone anyone got any other thoughts on a feast for Odin at the moment? Only that I'd like to play it again. <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. That's fair. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of the game. And all that remains is for us to have a look at the scores. Drew, what do you think? Uh, well, going from my increasingly fuzzy memory of the one time I've played it, uh, I think I'd give it an eight. Like, it's it's really good. It's solid. Everything works well together and makes sense. It is a bit big and complex. As you say, Like it's not an easy one to get out regularly. But yeah, if you can get it to the table, I'll, I'll always play it. So yeah. Sold a day. Uh, Matthew? Um, I'd, I'd probably... I think Drew's right. I'd call it an 8 as well. It's it's certainly uh, a commitment. Um, you're you're going to be locked in for quite a while. But it has enough going on and it's engaging enough that that time tends to go quite quickly once you're in the game. Having <laughs> that tile placement to kind of think about why other people are staring at the board and scratching their head thinking about what they're doing <laughs> means that you've always kind of got something to focus on yourself until your mm -hmm. go comes round again so even though it is going to take you a long time that that time is enjoyable and Kay what do you think yeah I'm completely on board with the guys it's an 8 for me a solid 8 it's, it possibly would have been higher if but that's probably just because of my own hang ups with regards to playing it on BGA and then the whole setup process of it it is worth it once you get to the table, but you do have to allocate quite a bit of time for setting it up and playing it, so absolute solid eight. Mm -hmm. For me, I think I put it at seven, if only because I've been spoiled playing it on BGA. I don't actually feel like I want to play it physically, and I don't think I could. I would necessarily get the same enjoyment out of it as I do. I probably will, and I probably should at some point, but as I stand at the moment, I'd rather play it on BGA. Which is, you know, similar experience. I'm still playing it with people that I know and respect and uh, enjoying playing a game with. But I just, it does I don't know. I don't have the draw. I'm, I have to say, we talked about briefly Agricola and Caverna and stuff. I'm not a fan of those games. But I don't know. I don't know if it's me and Uwe games. It's just a something that drops them down a little bit. But I do quite like Feast Froden. So I'm getting looks of... What is wrong with you? Okay, <laughs> no, so. I, no, it's to be fair, it's more of a. It's really interesting because for a lot of my gaming experience, we, I have a group that I meet with on a Monday night, hmm. and we play a lot of games. And it wasn't until probably three or four years ago that we started um, as a couple of me and my partner going and we made some other gaming groups and played. And we realised how much we are reliant on the gaming styles of our fellow players. So hmm. when new groups started doing different things. We were, we were like, oh my goodness, like, that's a bit mean, or 
why are you doing that? And, oh, I never thought that before. And I sometimes take for granted that because my group is the group, my, my usual group, that everybody must like the games that we like. But the more and more that I talk to the gaming community and learn games and, and try games that I never considered myself, I realise, oh, do you know what? There's, there's, there's such a varied mix of opinions. I always think mm. it's really great to hear the other side of the coin. And because from that, I always then look at that person and think, oh, Ralph, what games are you into? And then that opens a whole new world of me thinking, oh, actually, yeah. sometimes I come back and go, you know, you're right. There's, there are better games out there and I can completely see where you're coming from. And mm. this was a game that I was passionate about, but I agree that I can see from your perspective when you've not seen it visually set up and mm -hmm. you've had that enjoyment of playing and making it fit. I think it's the, the feeling of it being worthwhile setting up. I think that's probably why it's scoring high because you think, I spent all this time playing a game and thank goodness it was great. <laughs> because of the last, yeah, I, I've set games up and gone, oh my goodness, I've just lost four hours of my life. <laughs> I, I wonder if that is certainly a thing that does affect the BGG rankings. Mm. Of the, you know, the top 100s and all that sort of stuff. There's, it does skew heavy. Like Feast for Odin is, I think, in the mid-20s, somewhere like that. Let me have a look. I will be able to tell you. This will be edited so that, that pause was a lot shorter. I mean, it's it lists on the it's twenty three overall. The playtime on it is thirty to thirty minutes to an hour and uh, one hundred and twenty minutes, and I think that's nonsense. I don't think you can play this game in half an hour. No, I've that seems just straight up made up. <laughs> yeah, I think you can barely set this game up in half an hour. Come on, you're gonna you're gonna spend at least an hour on it. I mean, it's a three point eight six on the weight rating, but I mean, we we talked about this. On, I I think the BGG rankings are off anyway. I mean, you look at all the furrow that went around Brass, Birmingham, mm -hmm. and uh, Gloomhaven a couple of months ago. Yeah, those things were skewed quite heavily by just people reviewing things in a negative way. But anyway, that's it. That's a whole other conversation. That's probably another episode we've just talked about the BG, about BGG and just um. adjusting things that we would do on there. But I think then, for the end of Feast for Odin, we can put the lid back on the box and we can say thank you to our panel and for them to tell you where you can find them. Kay? I am a Geeky Meeple, so you can find me at Geeky Meeple's 3D Printing. Drew? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DrewLeonard42 or on Instagram at Crucible underscore games. And Matthew? Uh, you can find me in the woods. I'm going for a walk later. <laughs> if you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise, and that's concerning. And if you're listening to this and you say, I've just been in the woods, I couldn't find him. Um, <laughs> don't worry, he's there. Watching. All the way is watching. watching. And I've been Luke Pickles, Game Master for Eat, Crit, Survive, where some friends and I gather to play board games, play D&D, and generally chit-chat about board games. Until next time, thank you very much for listening to the Bucket List Board Gamers. If you like what you're listening to, please consider subscribing and you know doing all the things that you do to listen to this podcast on a regular basis. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.